Hey, it's Will Friedle. And Sabrina Bryan. And we're the hosts of the new podcast, Magical Rewind. You may know us from some of your favorite childhood TV movies like My Date with the President's Daughter. And the Cheetah Girls movies. Together we're sitting down to watch all the movies you grew up with and chat with some of your favorite stars and crew that made these iconic movies happen. So kick back, grab your popcorn, and join us. Listen to Magical Rewind on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Brought to you by State Farm. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Hey everyone, it's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater, and this is your wake-up call. If you're paying too much for wireless service, you don't have to keep having that nightmare. Consumer Cellular has the same fast, reliable coverage as the leading carriers for less. And for a limited time, new customers receive their second month free when they sign up and use promo code MONTHFREE by May 31st. So why keep spending more than you have to? Seriously, wake up! And call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com. Taxes, fees, and other third-party charges will apply. See website for additional details. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic Gymnastics, Cain Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to the Tudor Dixon Podcast. I'm Tudor Dixon, and it is great to have you tuning in to the podcast today. I am joined by an expert in historical and constitutional issues, David Barton. He's the founder of Wall Builders, a published author and speaker on America's Forgotten Foundation. As we lead up to celebrating the 4th of July, America's independence, I wanted to talk to David Barton about everything American independence. Welcome to the podcast. Great to be with you, Tudor. Thank you. I'm really excited about this because our girls have been studying American history in school this year, and it's just been so fun to watch them learn this through a Christian lens because they they go to a Christian school and they've learned a lot about the true founding of the country and the faith-based founding of the country, which I think is lost in a lot of schools. In fact, I know some of our congressmen were talking about, or I mean, actually, some of our local representatives here in Michigan were talking about wanting to make sure people knew the faith foundation of the country. And there's a lot of people fighting back on that right now, just because it's something that people don't like to acknowledge. But it is really part of our history, isn't it? I think it's not only part of our history. I think it is probably the fundamental part of our history. And this is Fourth of July. But if I can, you know, take George Washington, who was not part of the Declaration, whatever. But in his final farewell address after 45 years, he he leaves the country. He's leaving public office. But he gives about a dozen warnings to Americans. And his farewell address was so significant that you'll find that in so many states, It was required by state law that you take a written exam on that farewell address once a year for your first eight years of school. I mean, this is a big deal. And the the longest section he has in that farewell address, he talks about religion and morality. He calls them the indispensable supports of political prosperity. He even went so far as to say that he would not let anyone claim the name patriot if they attempted to remove religion and morality from public life. So there's your epitome of a patriot. He's the guy who led all the patriots. He's the leader of all the military forces. He says, guys, 
I had patriots at Valley Forge. I had them throughout the war, but I'm not going to let you call yourself a patriot if you try to remove religion and morality. And that tells you how important it was to him as commander in chief. And that's how important it should be throughout history. And it was for the for the first century and a half, two centuries since about the 1960s, it's gone the other direction. And we're told, oh, no, these guys are a bunch of atheists, agnostics and deists. And, you know, it was a secular nation. That's what made us great. And when you go back to the actual original documents and, and you, you study the stories of the people who actually signed the declaration were there, you find that overwhelmingly they were not only faith people, they were super strong faith people. And that's part of the good story that's just gotten away from us. They were. And I, I think that people want that story to get away from us because it's almost easier to ignore the fact that there is a a Christian foundation here in the country. And as we look today at what's going on, I mean, we've seen a lot of talk of Satanism. I mean, even in one of our local counties here in Michigan, they've launched a, I don't even know what you call it, a, they call it a church to Satan. I can't even use those words. Um, So we're seeing that, we're seeing that in a lot of these new logos for pride. We've seen a lot of indications that, well, Satan loves you and, and Jesus. I saw somebody wearing a shirt the other day that said, not today, Jesus, like the shirts that say, not today, Satan. I mean, what would our founding fathers think of that? That is such a sad part of who we are and what's happened to us. Um, addition, let, let me kind of throw some background out. We, we own 160,000 items from American history, things from Columbus all the way through the Bible that landed on the moon with Apollo 14. So within that framework, we have thousands and thousands and thousands of handwritten documents of those who signed the Declaration, those who signed the Constitution, et cetera. And, and their faith is so super strong, and, and it's just it's really evident in their writings. But I, I also deal with a lot of states and asked in a lot of states to, to help with their history standards and their social studies standards and review those standards. For, and so governors, state legislators, et cetera. And then on top of that, We've been involved in 13 cases of the U.S. Supreme Court, most of which deal with religious liberty in some way. We were in one last year. We're already in one again this year. And what has happened, and as I look at it from history standpoint, when I look at history standards, I usually don't look necessarily at just what they say. I look at what they don't say, because I've learned that when you stop talking about something, and if you stop talking about it for 20, 30 years, you can introduce a completely new narrative in the situation. And nobody knows to stop it because they didn't know what it was. So, you know, if I was to stop talking about Abraham Lincoln for 30 years and we didn't do him at all, I could come back 30 years from now and say, you know, Abraham Lincoln dropped a nuclear weapon on Thailand in World War 17. And nobody would know any different because they don't even know who the dude is. And that's pretty much what's happened with our faith. We have so much going on now with faith because we think, well, it was a secular nation, secular founding fathers. They weren't strong on Christianity. And that's just not true. So when you look at where we are now, and again, going back to the court, between 1971 and and 2019, the court issued 7,300 rulings removing some type of religious expression from public affairs. So we have so thoroughly and aggressively secularized the nation. We've taken it away from where, where it should be. And the good news is that in the last four years, we generally win a religious liberty case at the Supreme Court every five to eight years. In the last four years, we've won 11 cases at the Supreme Court. And the Supreme Court has rolled back those 7,300 bad decisions and say they were, they were all 
wrongly decided. And, and they're trying to move us back the direction it used to be. But now we have a very secular minded nation and it's hard to move back toward religious expression. So we're fighting things like the Church of Satan, as you mentioned, a very hard thing to even say or acknowledge. We're, we're fighting all sorts of things that, that would never have been churches in any reasonable period of time in American history that are being recognized as such now. And that's because we've taken our own history out. We've been trying to commit suicide for a number of years. And thankfully, the Lord hadn't let us do that. And hopefully we're turning it around. But nonetheless, it's a, it's a really tough discussion to have now. And that would never have been conceivable in the founders' minds, not under anything that they planned, designed, or intended. And that's just, you know, here we are fighting battle. We shouldn't have to fight, but we're fighting it because we've lost our own knowledge of who we are as a people. We speak to a lot of political consultants regularly and, and look out at what's on the horizon. And a few months ago, we had a few guys who were saying, it's really interesting because Satanism is that what we're seeing. It just keeps popping up. That's what the next thing is that we'll be fighting because they're trying to they're trying to see what the next culture war would be. And as you know, there's been wars, culture wars all across the United States when it comes to a lot of these things like tra- transgender in elementary schools, books, that, pornography books in elementary schools. Satanism is like a whole new level. I mean, I would have thought it would have taken a while to get there, but it seems like this has all gone pretty quickly from, I would say, the beginning of Donald Trump's presidency to now. There's been a massive push for some of this, I mean, really evil, evil toward our children. There has been, and I hate to say this, but in some ways it's kind of self-inflicted, and I don't mean that in a bad sense. I mean that in the sense that as we look at polling, and we do a lot of polling work, uh, we've seen that, for example, those that profess Christianity have the the percentage of those who profess Christianity has dropped 20 points in the last 20 years. So we've created a vacuum where that we're taking more and more traditional faith out. We're removing that, which leaves a much open, more open space for, for things to come in to fill that. And we see that particularly as we do polling with younger generations. They're, they're more and more secular-minded. And then we saw polling even last year where the 77% of professing Christians self-censor. They don't want to talk about their faith for fear of being attacked because it's just unpopular with academics and with so many mainstream kind of institutions. And so having gone silent, you have a generation that's being raised without much knowledge of faith at all. And they're open for spiritual things. That's for sure. We see that in polling. And Satanism is something that is very appealing. So we see a lot of young people uh, particularly moving in that direction because there's almost like no free market competition. The other side, we've kind of gone silent on this, which is not a healthy thing for us to do. And and so the nation. I say this a lot at the beginning of my race for governor. I met one of the first people I met with. I simply in the conversation, she was asking me, well, how did you make this decision? And at one point in the conversation, I said, my husband and I prayed about it. And that was really all I said that was faith-based in the conversation. And at the end, when I was finished talking, she looked at me and she said, you will never win over the millennials if you speak like that. For my best advice to you, and I I can't support you because of this, but my best advice to you is change what you what you say about faith and i said what do you mean and she said you you just sat in front of me and said that your husband and you prayed about this and i said yeah and she said 
if you talk about Christianity in front of this younger generation, no one will vote for you. And I mean, that was kind of a consistent theme was uh, as I went across and these were these were conservatives, supposedly, you know, they were saying, shut your mouth. Don't bring up religion. Yeah, that's a, that's a growing uh, rise mantra out there. But we're actually finding that disproved by polling. We, we've seen that right now. Uh, the younger generation will respond to faith, but it has to be on a one-on-one discussion with people. They are very—they're the first generation in 120 years of polling that we've seen that is actually open to mentoring, and they don't care what generation it is, as long as you're sincere and we'll talk with them and we'll sit down with them and spend time with them. Uh, they're open to faith, and they just need that—that that one-on-one kind of relationship. And so it really. So how do we do that? Because I, I feel like that's I mean, that's another thing that we've been talking about is as we've seen what's happened in elections, as we've seen what's happened with conservatives, it seems like that foundation has been lost over the years and that that groundwork that is not political whatsoever. I would say that that basis that should be a part of family life has dwindled and deteriorated and in many cases is no longer there. So and and because you don't have it in schools, I mean they've fought very hard to make sure that you're you're being tested on reading and math history in some cases doesn't even exist in some public schools. And if it does, it's it's very high level breezing through things. So how, if they don't have that history, if they aren't getting that at home, the I mean the other side has been very good at keeping that faith story away from people in the United States. So if they don't have that, how do we start to win back this war? How do we start to reach out to people? Because I know, I mean, we've got a lot of listeners out there and they're saying, how did this happen? But really, you are making a good point. It had happened with us who said, I don't want to rock the boat, so I'm not going to say anything. We've gone silent on it. And I see this very much as self-inflicted wound, but I'm also seeing across the country where this is changing. And it's changing even in faith communities. Uh, there's, there's a particular church I'm thinking of in Texas, about 25,000, and they are largely Gen Z and millennial, and they are not squishy at all. Um, they're very strong, but they there's been people take the time to explain and give the apologetics of faith. And I think a lot of, a lot of times we've not taken the, the time to actually been sincere, sincere about it. We, we have more sound bites on faith, and we have more sound bites on Christ or whatever. And there's some more serious discussions. And this is an interesting thing that we've seen, and particularly with the Gen Z, some with the, the millennials, but they, they want more than sound bites. They react to sound bites. We see that, unfortunately, politically, other things. But if you get past sound bites, they really respond well. And so we're seeing that there's starting to be some, some churches that are taking that on. A lot of individuals are taking that on. We're seeing a lot of faith uh, groups really kind of increase now that are focused on youth and doing some good thing. But we just, we've gotten ourselves really behind the curve on this, and we're fighting an uphill battle. And I think the other thing, and you mentioned schools, we're not teaching it. Um, one of the things we deal with, Tudor, we, we have a network of uh, about a thousand state legislators. So we have legislators we deal with in all 50 states uh, on state legislation, everything from ESG to UCC to faith issues, et cetera. And I'm struck by the fact that, for example, Minnesota last year passed their new history standards. And for the next 10 years in Minnesota, they have said they will not teach the American Revolution or the Civil War or World War One or World War Two or the Holocaust. They've said that that has to go out of all of their texts and all their curriculum for the next 10 years. So we, we deliberately are cutting people off from heritage and history, which means individuals have to take more responsibility to step up. But we're also seeing 
a lot of good things start to happen uh, media-wise with with some of the programs that are popping up. They're doing really well in history. So I think we're, we're kind of behind the curve, but I, I do see really good things happening. But it's going to take every single individual. I go back to Song of Solomon 8.13 where the scripture says, People listen to you, so speak. We just got to touch the people in our own networks. And and the thing I'd point to is look how well we're doing winning school boards at local elections where you get just into the community. Those aren't nationally publicized. We're cleaning house across the nation in a great way with school boards. Nobody knows about it, but we're really seeing good things. And that's the same way we'll get the, those kids back is we have to do it community by community. Just forget the national stats. Just work on those that are around you and dedicate yourself to really making a difference. And you can. Let's take a quick commercial break. We'll continue next on the Tudor Dixon podcast. Like many of us, you might think identity theft will never happen to you. But consider this. There's a new identity theft victim every three seconds in the U.S., That's over 15 million people by the end of this year, equal to the populations of New York, Los Angeles, and Chicago combined. Even worse, identity theft victims often don't even know they're victims. That's why LifeLock Identity Theft Protection alerts you to identity threats, even the ones that don't show up on a credit report, like data breaches, fraudulent bank transactions, loan and credit card applications, and crimes committed in your name. If your identity is stolen, your own dedicated LifeLock U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. LifeLock protects you in ways that you simply can't on your own. Join now and save up to 25% your first year at lifelock.com slash news. That's lifelock.com slash news to save up to 25%. Identity theft protection starts here. Hey everyone, it's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater, and this is your wake-up call. If you're paying too much for wireless service, you don't have to keep having that nightmare. Consumer Cellular has the same fast, reliable coverage as the leading carriers for less. And for a limited time, new customers receive their second month free when they sign up and use promo code MONTHFREE by May 31st. So why keep spending more than you have to? Seriously, wake up and call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com. Taxes, fees, and other third-party charges will apply. See website for additional details. Tired of restless nights? Meet Lisa, the sleep expert. <sighs> Here at Lisa, we know that good sleep is essential for mental, physical, and emotional health. That's why their mattresses are made for exceptional comfort and support, catering to every sleep need. Check out Lisa's Sapira Hybrid Mattress, named best hybrid mattress five years running. Sleep hot? The Chill Collection is built with cool-to-the-touch top fabric and layers of high-density comfort foams, all intended to remove excess body heat while maximizing comfort. With Lisa, getting a new mattress has never been easier. Delivery is free, and you have 100 nights to try out your mattress in the comfort of your home. Don't spend another night dreaming of better sleep. For a limited time, save up to $700 off select mattresses plus two free pillows. Go to lisa.com forward slash iHeart for an additional $50 off mattresses and select goods. That's l-e-e-s-a.com forward slash iHeart. Exclusions apply. See lisa.com for more details. Well, I got us off track from 4th of July, so but, but I think that was kind of an important lead up to the story of the 4th because I don't think that a lot of people understand that this wasn't just a bunch of guys that got into a room one day and said, let's sign this Declaration of Independence and move on. I, I, I'm fortunate that 
our my daughter, my daughter was in eighth grade last year. We just went on the DC trip and then we went through all of the the history and they got to see, but they also went to Gettysburg and saw where the Civil War was fought. And so they saw what it was to fight there, but they didn't hear a whole lot about the the very beginnings. So I think that's something that we, you know, when we see some of these, when you go to some of these old sites of war and you go, gosh, can you imagine now our 18 year olds? And and often when they tell you these stories, it's like, well, the, the some of these kids were 16, some of these kids were 13. And it's just shocking to think that they were willing to do anything for freedom. And there was a reason because they understood what tyranny was. And so there's a lot of faith that goes into deciding to form your own country and declare your independence. So if you could just walk us through a little bit about how did that start? How do you how do you bring all these people together that really they had ownership over their states and, the, and, and it was a coming together of people and minds to decide how the best possible government could be formed? Yeah, it is, it is such a cool thing to look back at that. And I think one of the great examples of, of seeing how this worked was old man John Adams, 42 years after he signed the Declaration of Independence, a young man came to him and said, I'm writing a history book on the United States. I wasn't there. I love what America's become. We all love the liberties we have, but you were there. Tell me how this happened. And, and he asked him, he said, where did you get your ideas? Because these are ideas that weren't in other countries at the time. It's striking that John Adams himself said that, well, we got these ideas from the Reverend Dr. Samuel Cooper, the Reverend Dr. Jonathan Mayhew, the Reverend George Whitfield, the Reverend Charles Sean. He starts listing all these pastors. And with those 160,000 documents we have, we have so many sermons from that founding era. But it is striking to see how faith was so intimately involved, uh, even as you look at the early stages as, as we lead up to, to the American independence. You know, the first battle is Lexington. The second battle is Concord. The third battle is Road to Boston. The, the fourth battle is Bunker Hill. And the battle of Lexington was when the Reverend Jonas Clark took 60, 73 guys out of his church and went out and faced the 700 British. The second battle was when Reverend William Emerson took 400 guys out of his church and went out and faced the British. The third battle, the road to Boston, was 4,500 Americans facing 700 British, but the Americans were led by the Reverend Benjamin Boss, the Reverend Payson Phillips. And when you get to Bunker Hill, it's Reverend Joseph Willard who grabbed two companies out of his church and said, okay, guys, let's go join the other churches across town. We're fighting for our freedom. So there's a very strong faith element all the way through. But I think that, that a lot of what we miss today, the way we teach history today it's no longer biographical. We used to teach the stories about history. And as you look in the Bible, you know, nobody knows what year David killed Goliath because the date wasn't important. What was important was the story. You got the story of David and Goliath. And, and that's really kind of what we've moved away from in American history since progressives took it in the 1920s. We've gotten into dates, names, and places, and we don't no longer tell the stories. Uh, who, who knows the story of an eight-year-old John Quincy Adams grabbing his musket and going out with the Massachusetts Minutemen in the early stages of, of the war? You know, nobody knows about an eight-year-old kid doing that. And, and those are the stories that are so cool and so much a part of what happens. Even the 56 guys who signed the Declaration. I was at Duke University Law School and, and put that picture of the signers up. I said, who can you call by name? And they could only get two guys by name out of 56. And they all have phenomenal stories. And, 
And we just have to reacquaint ourselves with how, how blessed we've been as a nation, how terrific our history is, who these great heroes were. And the 4th of July is a really good time to do that. Go back and, and look at some, look up three guys you've never heard of to sign the Declaration. Read their stories. Read about their family. Read about their faith. Read about their sacrifice. You know, 10 of these guys who signed the Declaration never lived to see the freedom they wanted us to have. 17 of them lost everything they owned. Three of them lost their kids. It's, it's tragic stories and it's victorious stories, but they're stories. And I think that's what we really have to get back to is storytelling. Well, in George Washington's story alone, I think a lot of people think of the president of the United States like they think of the president of the United States now. But this was really, I mean, he sacrificed. He left his home for I think what he didn't see his wife for eight years when they were at war and then comes home and they said, well, we need you to serve again and we need you to go to be the president. And and that and he was the one that said, I'm not going to do it forever. We don't. Well, they wanted him to be a king, didn't they? They would have taken him as a king and he was going to retire after one term. And we were looking at a war with France. And so he stayed on for one more term, but he retired after two. And he set the example. And, and that was a voluntary example that was followed by every president until FDR with World War II. And then FDR's vice president, Harry Truman, is the guy who got the constitutional amendment passed to say, hey, Washington did it in two. We should all do it in two or, or, or no more. And so Washington really set that example. And it's interesting that he is literally considered the father of his country, even while he was still alive. Um, I mean, he's the only president to be chosen 100 percent unanimously, not a single dissenting vote in the Electoral College in either of his two elections. Uh, he, he really was esteemed in his day. Uh, I calculated recently that with George Washington, more than 40 percent of the nations across the world have erected some type of a memorial to George Washington. And to try to find any leader from another nation that's honored in a, in a nation that's not their own, that's just pretty unusual. And Washington was one of those guys that was a global influence, and he was loved by Americans. And man, did he sacrifice, as, as you mentioned, you know, he, he kept going back in when he wanted to retire. He wanted to go back to Mount Vernon, and he did this as, at his own expense. He, he actually, late in life, asked Congress to reimburse him for some of his expenses, but he did most of this out of his own pocket. And we know that during the eight years of the revolution, he wrote so many letters that it's estimated he got no more than three to four hours of sleep a night and all the communications he was doing, all the work he was doing. He just sacrificed everything for his country. And, and he was he was just a great, great leader to start with. And you can't have a better example than what we have with George Washington. Let's take a quick commercial break. We'll continue next on the Tudor Dixon podcast. Good sleep should come naturally, and with the new Natural Hybrid Mattress, it can. A collaboration between award-winning mattress brand Lisa and home design favorite West Elm, the Natural Hybrid is the culmination of these two companies' shared values. Premium materials, meticulous craftsmanship, and sustainable practices. Made with natural latex, responsibly sourced natural wool, and environmentally safe foams, the Natural Hybrid elevates your sleep sanctuary. Indulge your senses and supports a greener tomorrow. Plus, when you purchase the natural hybrid, you're also helping fuel Lisa's work with shelters and those in need. Since 2015, Lisa has donated more than 40,000 mattresses to ensure children and families have a safe place to sleep. Don't put off a good night's sleep any longer. Get a Lisa mattress today for a sound sleep tonight. Visit lisa.com slash iHeart. That's l-e-e-s-a dot com slash iHeart. 
If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley, and recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rocked the baby to sleep and slam dunk. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. LeBron James. And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's interesting, I think, is when you go to the Capitol, the dome is painted and and George Washington is up there and he he appears to be almost saintly up there in the dome of the Capitol. And when they're talking to you about it, they say it's funny because he probably wouldn't like that image of himself. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's right. He was a very, very humble guy. It's interesting that after his, his part in the, uh, the French and Indian War and he came back and was elected to the state legislature and he was ready to get down to business, they opened the legislature with a commendation form for all he had done in the leadership. And he was so floored, he, he, he couldn't even speak. And the Speaker of the House said, well, Mr. Washington, he said, your, your valor is, is matched only by your modesty. And that's the way Washington was. He just he, he didn't talk about himself. He didn't like getting acclaim. He didn't like being recognized. He finally understood late in life that people thought highly of him. And bless his heart, at Mount Vernon, because back in that day, you believed in hospitality. He entertained anyone that came to his house. And there are times when 40, 50 different strangers would show up out of different states just to say they could spend the night at George Washington's house. And the latter part of his life, he was so accommodating, so hospitable. And it would drive us crazy to have to deal with what he dealt with. But he was just that kind of a deep character individual, very pious man, very very astute man in so many areas. And he's, he's just a great, great, what do I want to say? He's a great model. That's what I want to say. He's a great model for us. And it's just unfortunate that we don't know that much about him today. He's, he's just, again, gotten away from us. We just don't teach Washington much. And when we do, we kind of oversimplify him. But he's, he's a great biography people should read. Why is it that we don't do more when we, we talk about these folks? I mean, they really, he, he did, he gave everything, but it was really about the future. It was about taking care of future generations, because I think that he must've known that this was not going to really be his life for very long. This was going to be other people's lives. This was setting a standard for eternity or, or however long we have here on earth. And then 
obviously his faith was very important, but he, you're right. He is a model. So why, and, and so many of these men are models of how to create greatness, as much greatness as we can see in this world. And yet we avoid talking about that with our students, with our young people. It's the ultimate opportunity and it is the ultimate sacrifice so that others can have. I mean, you would think that this would be the best story you can tell because he gave up everything for others. It was not for him. It was not for him. And it was that way with so many of them. And it's interesting that, you know, as we kind of look at history from a 30,000 foot view, because we connect it to culture and legislation, and everything else, um, we have had a steady attack on the American founding for 40 to 50 years. And, and so, you know, these guys are all a bunch of slave owners. Uh, wait a minute, time out. We passed, by 1804, every northern state had banned slavery. That's the founding fathers from those states had banned slavery. Uh, the first abolition society started in America was started by signer of the Declaration, uh, Benjamin Rush. It was led by signer of the Declaration, Ben Franklin. And, you know, we just go through, and yes, there were some pro-slavery founding fathers, but the overwhelming majority were not. And they talked about how slavery had been imposed on them by Great Britain. And in the Declaration of Independence, one of the grievances talks about the fact that several of our colonies have already passed anti-slavery laws, 1776, and King George III vetoed our anti-slavery laws in Connecticut and in Massachusetts and in Rhode Island and all these other states. We don't do that. We say, oh, no, they're all a bunch of they're all a bunch of racists. They're all a bunch of slaves. Oh, they're all a bunch of atheists and agnostics and deists. Wait a minute. Twenty nine of the signers of the Declaration graduated from Bible schools and seminaries. Uh, how can they all be atheists, agnostics, and deists? And, you know, the first the first family Bible ever done was by a signer of the Declaration, John Witherspoon. And the first mass-produced Bible ever done was by signer of the Declaration, Benjamin Rush. Benjamin Rush started the first Bible society in America, the Sunday School Movement, and you just go through their faith. And, and so what's happened is because we know so little of the details, we have been fed a lot of overview of, you know, Washington or, or any of the founding fathers, that they were all a bunch of immoral or whatever, and we don't have the specificity. So that's that's where going back to stories really becomes very, very interesting, uh, very intriguing. The story of Washington and, and what I recommend for folks, because we can now with books.google.com, all the public domain books are now online and you can search all those public domain books. So, you know, find a founding father that dies like a Benjamin Rush in 1813. Look in 1814 for the biographies that were done about him because that's by people who knew him, people who were around him. When Washington dies in 1799, look for biographies done in 1800 because the people who wrote them were the people who knew him and who worked with him and who fought with him, et cetera. And, you know, John Quincy Adams, great president, dies in 1848. Read the biographies written in 1849 by the mayor of Boston, Josiah Quincy, and, and by Seward, who was a great ambassador. It's just such a different view of history from what we get today because they didn't have agendas back then. They weren't trying to create a new nation. They weren't trying to make it secular or, or, or make it CRT or whatever it is. And so they were or teach the 1619 project 1619. And by the way, man, is that crazy? 1619. That's not when slavery came to Virginia. The first first slavery in Virginia was 1653 when a black man, Anthony Johnson, sued to own another black man, John Kaser, and the court said he could do it. 1653 is when slavery begins in Virginia with a black man suing to own another black man. I haven't heard that. But see, that's where 1619 project just gives you a narrative and doesn't give you details. 
And when you go back to historical details, the story is so different. And, and so that's what every American can do is, you know, dedicate myself to find the truth. It is out there. It's not that hard to find. I'm not going to follow the narratives until I've proven it for myself, go back and verify everything. And that'll give you a whole different view of America, which is really wholesome, really, really enlightening, quite frankly. I think as parents, it's so powerful that that's such a good piece of advice to do that with your kids. Because when we came back from the trip to Washington, D.C., you always wonder, what did they get out of it? Did they really get enough out of it? And one of the moms said to, I was chaperoning and she said, thank you so much. My son came up to me and he said, mom, you would never believe what these young men did to make sure that we could have the life we have. And I mean, that to me, as it brings a tear to my eye, I'm like, oh my gosh, they got it. They got to see it. They actually saw it and lived it and, and they learned it, but there's so much, I mean, they, they still learned the overview. It was still, you know, we're still rushing through in three days. So there's still so much to teach our kids. And and if you feel like your kids are being robbed at school, whether it's a public school or a private school, or you just don't think they're getting enough, this is great information. Do it yourself. You And I know everybody goes, gosh, that's so time consuming, but there's no better time spent than teaching your kids the value of appreciating what you have and, and passing that on. And I think that's the biggest thing here is to appreciate because right now there's so many people telling our kids don't appreciate this. Feel shame. Feel shame for what this country is. And I think that's that is the message going into the Fourth of July. This is a we are fortunate to have this country, or we are fortunate to have these men who stood up when no one else would. We could very easily just be colonies right now, and we are a very special place in the world because of what these founding fathers were willing to do and sacrifice for us. You know, it's significant. I think Americans, perhaps more than any other nation, we take our blessings for granted because we've had them for so long. Um, there's 1,500 years of recorded history. In that period of time, there's been thousands of nations, hundreds of constitutions. Cornell University Law School said, what's the average length of a constitution in the history of the world? And the answer is 17 years. Well, last September the right. 17th, we celebrated 235 years uh, we just take our stability for granted. We just assume that's the way nations are, and it's not. And and our 4% of the world's population, we produce literally 96% of the world's inventions. Our 4% of the world's population, we produce 25% of the world's gross domestic product. We are so stinking blessed, and we just don't recognize it because we hear people criticizing the country all the time. And they don't point out the good. They point out the bad and the ugly. And that's deconstruction. That really started in the 1980s in history books with Howard Zinn and others. You're supposed to tell the good, the bad, the ugly. The Bible does that. But we're not telling the yeah. good. We're just telling the bad and the ugly. And, and I, you know, Fourth of July, this is a real patriotic time. And I, I love patriotism. Benjamin Rush, he, he's a signer of the Declaration. John Adams said he's one of the three most notable founding fathers. Ben, John Adams said it's George Washington, Ben Franklin, Benjamin Rush. And who knows Benjamin Rush today? But Benjamin Rush says that, that a love of your country is both a social and a religious duty. And it goes back to if you love something, your family or, or whatever it is, you're going to seek the best for it. You're going to sacrifice for it. You're going to do everything you can to make sure that, it, that it's really good. And the polling we got from two weeks ago shows that right now, 73% of the older generation is patriotic. Only 16% of the younger generation is patriotic. We have not taught them to love their country. We've taught them to hate it. 
And there is no future for the country if you don't love it because you, you'll want to get rid of it. You'll want something different because it's not fundamentally good. And so this this Fourth of July is a really good time to go back and, and teach patriotism why it's proper to love America, what there is about America to love, the wonderful things that have happened. Uh, no nation in the world ended slavery, passed a ban on the slave trade faster than America did. I mean, it, it's just amazing the things. Uh, here's, here's a good one for CRT folks. Um, America elected its first black official in 1641. Matthias uh, D'Souza was elected to the legislature of Maryland by a white community. We had more than a thousand black officials elected in America by 1876. Great Britain did not elect its first black official until 1987. Russia did not elect its first black official until 2010. And we have a thousand by 1876 and somehow we're the worst nation in the world. We need to go back and recover the good things and know that. Let's study the bad and ugly. Absolutely, that's truth. But let's study the good too. And Fourth of July is going to be a good time to rekindle patriotism. Go back and look at the wonderful things. Our two hundred and thirty-seven years under the same document, two hundred thirty-five under the same document, two hundred and forty-seven under the Declaration of Independence. I mean, these are big things that we should look at and be grateful for. Well, who knew we were going to get homework on the Fourth of July? But I think this is fantastic because the, that poll you just put out there—that the, you said something like seventy percent. In the older generation is patriotic and only 16 in the younger. That means those of us in that older generation need to be doing our work with the younger generation. And that's this is our opportunity. I love your idea about finding biographies that were written just a year or two after these folks died and knowing what it was really like then hearing from the people that really knew them. I love that. I think that's a great send off for our listeners today is to go out there and find those and share the good stories from history. Talk, talk about all of history, but make sure people know why we are the greatest country in the world and, and how it happened. Before I let you go, David, quickly tell them a little bit about wall, builder, wall builders and how they can learn more about it, because I just think what you guys do is so amazing. The, the history, the pieces of history that you own in, in over 100,000 pieces. Yes, ma'am. And it's fun going back through the originals for sure. Um, at wallbuilders.com, we take the, the name of wall builders from the Bible book of Nehemiah about rebuilding things that have been torn down. So rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem back in that story, rebuilding America's constitutional and moral religious foundations is, is kind of our, our hope, our, our wish. And so we produce a lot of products, a lot of uh, visual things, a lot of written things. Uh, we just did a book, The American Story that goes from Columbus up through the end of slavery. And it looks at heroes and the good things and the bad and ugly about America. But we've got lots of resources, the website. We have thousands of those original documents up where people can see them, can access them, can use them in their schools or wherever they go. So we try to provide resources. We hope to have before long all 160,000 pieces of that history up where the people can see for themselves what America actually is and what America actually did. But wallbuilders.com is a good place to go for a lot of resources and the American story is a good book to start with. Well, thank you so much. I just, I love hearing what you have to say. I always learn something when I'm talking to you, David Barton. We appreciate having you on. Thanks, Tudor. Appreciate all you do. God bless you, ma'am. Thank you. God bless you. And thank you all for joining us on the Tudor Dixon podcast. As always, for this episode and others, go to tutordixonpodcast.com. You can subscribe right there or check out the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And make sure you join us the next time on the Tudor Dixon Podcast. Have a blessed day and happy 4th of July.
If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. More Than a Movie is back with Season 2. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Listen to more than a movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.